And thanks to Cry Malt, welcome once again to Radio Brews News, the podcast that shows that beer is a conversation. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and yes, again, I am flying solo. My good friend and usual co-host, Pete Mitchum, is still overseas. We've uh, managed to exchange emails and uh, messages uh, with him in Belgium. He was actually in Bruges, and we were hoping that we might be able to get a hookup and uh, have a bit of a chat and a catch-up with Pete, um, as uh, I'd got to give Pete credit for this one, uh, calling it Radio Bruges News, but that didn't happen, um, and Pete will soon be winging his way back to Australia. So uh, I've got a couple of interviews lined up between now and when Pete gets back, but we'll just see when we get a chance to uh, intro them. Um, so this could be my last uh, episode flying alone, but we're not quite sure. Um, so we've got a great show, um, as they all are, but uh, today we're speaking to Crafty Pint, the uh, champion of Australian craft beer, about his new book. And we're also uh, catching up with Richard Adamson from Young Henry's Brewery in Sydney. Richard uh, has, he's a bloke who's been around in the industry for a long time. He's done a lot of uh, great things and he's also one of those guys that is happy to tell you what he really thinks. So that always makes some good radio. He's uh, about to bring uh, out some gin, some hop infused gin. So we have a bit of a chat to him about that. So it's a really good uh, show. Before we get started, we need to thank, uh, you know, pay a few bills, thank the sponsors, and number one amongst those is Cry Malt, of course, uh, who brings you the show. Um, once again, we're not thanking David Cry and Cry Malt himself, although we've managed to get a plug-in for him, but we're talking about Beer Varna, and I'm not going to just read the, uh, the usual screed. I'm actually going to talk about the beer that I've gotten to brew in the last couple of days for the Beer Varna media competition. Um, if you're heading over to Beervana, which is held in Wellington on the 22nd and 23rd of August, you may even be able to try it. It's a little beer that we're calling No Slouch. Um, I brewed it recently with Green Beacon Brewery in Brisbane. Um, had a bit of an idea of what we wanted to do. We kicked around a few ideas. Um, the brewer, uh, Johan, um, and I... We're, we're both of a like mind. We don't like to... With all of the crazy stuff, the big hops, the... Uh, you know. Beers that are more like an experience and not a pleasure um, that all of the young kids are drinking these days. Sorry if you're one of them. Um, we decided to go something that's a little bit more classic. Uh, we've gone a, just a nice German Bock, a nice strong uh, lager with a little bit of a... I wanted something that had a nice malt character um, that we could sort of bring out, a little bit of that sort of burnt sugar, um, you know, uh, Demerara sugar, a little bit of body um, for a, a cool night. Um, and then just punch that up a little bit. Um, and I was thinking of a, a theme. Good beer needs to have a theme, if we don't, even if we don't want to go over the top. And we decided to, uh, to bring in a bit of an Anzac theme, being New Zealand. So we used some golden syrup and some uh, oats, and uh, went for a bit of an Anzac biscuit theme. It's a German style beer. Don't mention the war. Um, bit of. Uh, Australia, New Zealand in the naming, and also some uh, wonderful New Zealand hops. So it had oats and golden syrup. It had a blend of, ooh, I think it was five or six uh, malts, including oats, and then uh, some um, Mochueka and Waimea hops uh, for the New Zealand link. Got to try the, the wort, and it was really nice. Toasty, sweet biscuits. Um, the oats had given a bit of a silk uh, mouthfeel. The golden syrup didn't add too much to it. There was a bit of a syrup to it, but that would have a lot of been fermented out. We weren't going for something that was really um, Anzac biscuity. Uh, Burley Brewing did something a couple of uh, years ago. Um, 
uh, along those lines. So we didn't add coconut, but we just wanted to get a little, punch up some of the flavors that are naturally in a bock. And I think we did that pretty well. Um, it's, it's still being fermented. But if you wanted to give that a try, or even uh, James Atkinson's beer, um, who was the Sydney media identity, who brewed with young Henry, um, ironically or uh, uh, um, coincidentally enough, given that we've speaking to Richard Adamson, and it sounds like they've gone a little bit uh, crazier with their mega, mega white thing. Um, James Atkinson from The Shout uh, did it. And Crafty Pint is uh, doing a beer as well in Melbourne. So if you want to try the three Australian entries in the media brew, head on over, um, head across the Dutch to Wellington for Beervana, 22nd, 23rd of August. Now, that was probably the longest ad that we we're ever going to run, but it was a little bit of beer news and uh, telling you a little bit about the story. So uh, anyway, that's uh, th- that's news. We might get straight in and have a bit of a yarn to Crafty Pint. I, uh, James uh, Smith, as he's uh, better known, um, I recorded this interview before he probably uh, did his um, brew. It was uh, two or three weeks ago now, um, so I didn't get to ask him what brew he was doing, but we'll still get to talk about his new book. And welcome to Radio Brews News, James Smith. Thanks for having me back. Mate, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming back. And I guess uh, for those of you who are out there listening who don't know James Smith by name, you might know him uh, better as uh, the mild-mannered alter ego of uh, Mr. Crafty Pint. Indeed. So, uh, James, now, I, I, I guess a, a couple of things. Um, first thing I wanted to ask you about is we're now, ooh, what, five weeks out from could be a week, uh, five weeks past could be a week. You've probably had a chance to uh, recover. You're not sitting in a corner rocking anymore. <laughs> um, congratulations, first of all, but uh, how did you think it went? Yeah, thanks. Uh, there was there was no, no sort of, uh, it's right, everyone sort of says whenever they see you after the beer week, have you recovered? But I think we, we've all learned to uh, um, handle good beer week a lot better now. So I was straight back into four days work from the, the Monday after it finished. Um, but I know, I think, you know, it's, it's it's hard to sort of assess when you're on the inside and you're so close to it, but all the feedback we get, whether it's from sort of, um, you know, punters or from all the local venues or even from, I guess, especially from visiting brewers from overseas is that it's it's been another success, um, you know, on a, on a really, um, you know, the feedback, especially from, you know, the guys we've had from the States and Europe and Japan or whatever is that, you know, that we, we seem to have somehow or other created a, a world-class festival. So that's always reassuring given you know, the time and effort and I guess the uh, occasional moments of stress that go into it. <laughs> oh, it was down literally for the full week um, this time from uh, Sunday, Sunday. Unfortunately, uh, the Bruin transfer didn't go ahead, uh, which is something we'll have to work on for next year. Um, uh, and apologies for that. But, you know, it was just a week of genuine buzz um, and so much uh, going on. And uh, it, it, it seems that everybody benefited. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's. I guess it made the biggest noise yet. We, we had a meeting with our... PR people and they quoted us some crazy level of you know sort of PR um, value that we got we got out of it this year and to be honest you know, this, just seeing the stack of cuttings they had on the table in front of them was was uh, you know it does suggest that you know good beer craft beer whatever it is 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 really cutting through now um, but like I said it's kind of hard when you're on the inside and you're sort of running the festival and and in events and all what's going on but I think one of the most revealing things was. Um, Paolo, who's uh, from Bira del Borgo, he's uh, Leo's marketing guy. He'd been here last year, and I saw him at the Beer Awards, and he just said it seemed so much bigger. Well, there was so much more of a buzz, and it seemed to be sort of you know in more places than um, even the year before. Um, so you know that's, that's that's always good to hear those those kind of things because it is very hard to judge when you're so sort of intimately attached to it. Do you think that it was 
clever in hindsight, um, and well, maybe it was in uh, clever in foresight that uh, you intended it. But uh, was it a, a good move to call it Good Beer Week and not Craft Beer Week because you take out that whole what is craft beer, you know, brouhaha? Um, I'd say so. It certainly wasn't my decision. We have uh, Barney um, Barney Matthews, who was the original uh, spark of inspiration for it, to thank for that. But I think yeah, it, it probably does. I mean, within our charter, we still try and define what good beer is um you know and what we expect of venues and events and stuff like that to take part and that's you know that hasn't changed since since the early days but um it probably does i think you know it, it gives us a bit more leeway but it also yeah probably does stop that debate rising which is always a pleasing thing there's no there's no answer <laughs> Yeah, and well, it, it, it's it's one of those things. In hindsight, you know, I'm known as Good Beer Matt on Twitter and things like that. And you know, eight nine years ago when I first started doing it, I called them Good Beer Lunches because when I first got into it, I was interested in good beer, and I wasn't really even aware of this whole what is craft beer thing. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't a conscious decision. And sometimes I need to remind myself that that's what uh, we're trying to do. We're trying to get people drinking better beer. Um, you know. Well, and find their own. Well, I think I've sort of tried to address the sort of what is craft beer issue briefly um, in the book we were going to have a chat about in a bit, and and I sort of part of the conclusion I came to is that it, it's different for different people. Different people probably have different, um, I guess, boundaries or parameters for what they're willing to accept. You know, within whether it's good beer or craft beer, and and therefore it's very hard to put a finger on something. But you know, but good beer just it just feels more inclusive and it just feels a bit more fun as well. Um, I think you know what 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 can be worse than good good beer? So what can be better? Well, that's and, so. and uh, I mean Luke um, uh, over at Epic in New Zealand posted recently. You know why do we have to define craft beer? Why don't we define industrial beer and everything else is just beer? Yeah. Um, which was a, an an interesting flipping of the discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I think it definitely helps it be you know the whole idea is with. Good Beer Week is it is an inclusive festival, um, you know, and the idea is it's to try and bring in you know as many good venues as well as good breweries and, and people as possible, um, and it's definitely easier to do without having to quibble over too much of a definition. Yep, and uh, anything that brings people to the uh, the, the beer fold um, is a good thing. Beer had become very boring when the most interesting thing a lot of breweries talked about was the label um, or the, you know, what sport they were sponsoring. But uh, I guess all of these beer festivals are bringing in, you know, excitement about the liquid, yeah. um, which, you know, hopefully will uh, introduce more people to beer in all of its many forms. Yeah. Well, I think this year's festival as well is the first one since we hit sort of critical mass or t went beyond the tipping point or whatever for, for good beer or craft beer. I think in the last year or so, um, we reached the point where there was no turning back. I think not too long ago, there were still people wondering, you know, is craft beer or better beer, is it going to take hold for good or is, is there a chance it can fade away? But there's, there's, it's here to stay. Like, you know, there's, with it, there's no doubt that it's sort of broken into the mainstream. There's more coverage of it, you know, more widely. Um, and I think pretty much any publican worth their salt now realise they've got to have at least some variety to their offering and that wasn't the case even probably 12 months ago um so i think we've yeah we've we're, we're getting there slowly but surely yeah. and uh now you you did allude to your book um a few moments ago so do you want to tell us a little a little bit about uh 150 great beers or yeah so 150 uh, great australian beers uh, your guide to craft beer and beyond um will be out 
sometime in July, and the idea is it's out in time for Father's Day. Um, and it's been um, published by Harley Grant, who I've had a relationship with, I guess, for the last three years-ish, um, writing regularly for, their, for the James Halliday Wine Companion magazine. Um, so yeah, it's pretty exciting, and it was sort of there was a bit of discussion, maybe even eighteen months or so ago, about was I interested in writing a book, and then it sort of one thing led to another, and then it all sort of came to a head rather intensely <laughs> around about Christmas and the start of this year. So it's yeah, it's, hopefully um, will be something else that helps sort of push um, you know the, the kind of beers we're interested in, the beers that we have been trying to promote for the last few years through our website. Um, in, into a, a wider audience again, um, you know, with it's been they've made it look beautiful, and I'm sure they'll get behind it and give it a good push through sort of you know um, bookstores and what have you for for Father's Day. So fingers crossed. Tell us a little a little bit about because you know there have been the Critics' Choice uh, Guide, there's been the Beer Lovers Guides, which have been you know, and I, I Prof uh, edits um, the uh, Critics' Choice, and I've edited the Beer Lovers Guide, but you know, they're still probably a different class of book um, than the, the one that you've uh, written because they're, they're a little bit more advertising driven and uh, you know um, almost bookish magazines yeah. um, but tell us a little bit about uh, the 150 great Australian beers because I can't think of too many beer books that have come out um, apart from Willie Simpson's uh, many books over the last uh, 10 or 12 years yeah well I suppose the, the idea um, is to well, so I guess I've tried to sort of do as much as I can um, within sort of a book in terms of encapsulating, I guess, where Australian beer is now. Um, but also, I guess, try and give a, a bit of an introduction to a lot of the stuff that I've, I guess, been learning or trying to get out there over the last few years about, you know, beer in Australia, beer itself, how it's made, um, how to, you know, serve beer and that kind of stuff. Um, and then in terms of the, I guess, the core of the book, which is the 150 beers itself, um, obviously get as many of the, the very best beers in Australia in there as possible, but also try and cast the net as wide as possible. So get as many beers as possible in from as many Australian breweries as possible if, if they're good enough. So, you know, the, the best beer from a lot of breweries that people may not have heard of. I'd like to think that there's a, you know, a wider spread of breweries and, and beers in this book than there probably has been in anything else um, published in book form. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then just sort of, I guess, try and tell as many interesting or quirky stories about those beers and the breweries behind them as possible. So that it, even though it's kind of list-based, it's not, you know, and there's tasting notes and what glass to drink them in. Hopefully there's a, a lot of little sort of snippets in there that give people an insight into the personality personalities of the beer world as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's hopefully there's a little bit of history in there, a little bit of knowledge um, and a little bit of enticement to go and visit more breweries and, and hunt around a bit. Yeah, you know, I can't think of a better person to write a book like this at the moment. And, you know, you can sort of kiss your ass all you want. But, you know, I think I admitted it to you during Good Beer Week, but I I remember writing a piece um, on Beer Mat probably five or six years ago when uh, I'd I'd been sent this article from some guy called James Smith who was writing in the Epicure section. And uh, it was a really, you know, informed for, for a mainstream media writer that wasn't Willie Simpson it seemed to be someone who got beer, and I remember blogging um, at, at the time. Look, I've got no idea who this guy is, but you know, it's great to see somebody. You know, <laughs> assuming that you were the typical sports writer that was writing about beer, because foodies don't. Um, but 
you know, you, you've come such a long way uh, in, in the Australian as a as a as a Pommy immigrant um, you, you, yourself. You've come such a long way in immersing yourself in the Australian craft beer scene. Um, I can't think of anybody that is as uh, deeply um, embedded in it as uh, as you are. So you're probably uniquely placed to write this sort of piece at the moment. Um, it's an addictive world, you know. Once you get into it and you meet all these wonderful people and realize what's going on, like it's you know, as you know, it's it's just a really exciting time, um, and it's very easy to get caught up in it, as so many people are. Um, you know, it's probably, I feel quite lucky, I guess, to have been in a place at a time where there's been such a change in a culture and to, you know, have been able to get involved in that. Um, so, you know, whilst there was obviously choices made to do what I did and get out and start Crafty Pine, it's almost like there's been this sort of, I don't know, this <laughs> other force that's dragged me along with it. Um, and it's, it's sort of weird when I see, I think on the back of the book, they say, you know, join beer expert. And I don't think of myself in any way as a beer expert because, but then I sort of think, well, for the last six years, I've done pretty much nothing else. <laughs> I've <got laughs> yeah. to visit breweries and bars and go to beer festivals and sample beers and read about beers and write about beers. And I guess maybe that's how you become an expert. It's not through any sort of <laughs> great uh, expertise or, you know, intelligence or anything. It's just that you, you sort of submerge yourself in it for a long period of time. So um, I, I often get that expert label, which is something that doesn't sit comfortable with me because I think, you know, brewers are beer experts. You know, they're, they're the guys that, you know, know it intimately. And, uh, you know, I, I'm an experienced um, drinker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think so, the know. beer expert doesn't sit right, but when yeah, if, if, if there's another way of phrasing it, that sort of, you know, the person who has visited more Australian microbreweries and bars and sampled more Australian craft beers in the last five years, I don't know if there's a way of shortening that, then that would be more accurate, I think, than beer expert. But you know, maybe that's why they choose the easy route. <laughs> But you are a journalist by training, um, you, and you, you came out to Australia and started. Um, in, in, in that field were you always in, into beer you know back in the old country um i always when i first started drinking beer i always drank real ale or bitter and i i guess maybe flavor wise but I, re I reckon there must be some sort of innate thing within within me that some innate traditionalist or whatever that um, made me choose that rather than i think when we sort of started drinking in our teens like my mates would have been jumping on lagers or whatever. I never did that, and I don't know why. Because um, thinking back, I'm pretty sure my dad was drinking lager. But um, so I'd always, you know, I'd always drank bitter. Um, I'd always got, you know, as I got older, if I went to a new part of the country, I'd always look for whatever was on tap or on hand pump that I'd never had before. Um, I lived in Munich for a short while, and I guess was exposed to some really good beer over there, but never sort of really took it beyond that. I never thought, oh, I must go and visit a brewery. I must understand what, how beer is made, or I must know what's in it. I just knew which beers I liked, and I liked to always look for something new. Um, but it was, and it was only coming over here and not expecting to find what I found that I guess really sparked the interest. And I think what really sparked, it wasn't so much necessarily just beer itself. It was the fact that something was changing. You know, it was the fact that there was this moment in Australia where the culture was changing and something exciting was happening. I think that sort of drew me in more than necessarily the beer itself and you know i guess i thoroughly enjoy most of the or many of the beers that i get to try but i think that it is it's that sort of it's that buzz and that excitement and and, and the culture and the community that surrounds it that is as much um of interest as as the beer itself do you think you know 
is it hard explaining to your parents uh, you know, <laughs> what you do for a living and how you came? I, I know that uh, um, your, your mother uh, read something I wrote about just announcing the 150 uh, uh, Great Australian Beers. Um, you know, are they surprised that you've made a go of something as you know eccentric as beer writing? Uh, probably not. They're probably pleased at something as you know reasonably uh, sensible as that. And <laughs> <laughs> as compared to what? No, I'm not too sure. Um, but no, I think you know they've. I think about I think about this the other day actually. We're sort of back at in school days, and you know, sort of people looking at you know what sort of careers would, would people go down. I think I always, I always used to get really good maths results and what have you, and it's like, well, maybe you can, you know, become a banker or an accountant or something like that. So I'm quite pleased that that hasn't happened, and I hopefully my parents aren't too disappointed that, that didn't happen. But um, no, I think what my, I was thinking about my dad's parents, but my, his mum was a um, sort of rampant um, lefty socialist Guardian reader, and his dad was a rampant beer drinker. So the fact that I've had pieces on beer published in The Guardian um, and even been quoted talking about beer in The Guardian, I think oh, at least I know that my dad's parents will be uh, happy wherever they're resting right now. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's interesting you mention that because something that I've come um, back to myself recently is, you know, with, with all of the discussions about craft beer and what it is and, um, it, and the labelling issue, um, you know, it's often thrown up, well, all I care about is how the beer tastes. And I'm sure for a lot of people, that's how it is. But there really is a political dimension um, for a lot of people, isn't there? You know, whether you buy your apples from a farmer's market um, or from Woolworths, um, the, the, the apples could come from exactly the same place. But there is a political decision that you make in paying maybe a little bit more um, for an apple from a farmer's market than for Woolworths. And for, for me, it's craft beer um, is, is a little bit the same. It's supporting the diversity that having a, a small brewing industry brings, yeah. um, even, even when sometimes the beer may not be as uh, technically as good as uh, coming out of some of the bigger breweries. It, 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 is that something that drives you? Yeah, well, I think in an ideal world, we'd love every single small brewery to make every single beer amazing, and it doesn't always happen. Um, and I think you always have to acknowledge that a lot of the beers, you know, the, the, the craftier beers coming out of the bigger breweries, you know, you think of the Matilda Bay range or what have you, they're achieving a, you know, a quality and a consistency that's beyond a lot of the smaller breweries. So you just have to be realistic about that. But, you know, I think things are just are getting, you know, there's, there's so many blurrings of the line where whether it's, you know, the some of the best breweries in the country, best small breweries who, you know, they, they can't keep up with the capacity, so they have to outsource the bottling of some of their beers or, you know, or even, you know, maybe even the sort of cake production of some of their bigger lines. And, and you know, people might say, well, where does that fit in? You know, so, and, and more of that, that sort of thing's going to happen. Um, like I say, I guess you, people can draw the line as to what they are willing to accept, you know. And it may be that some people say, I'm never going to drink a beer that has been produced by one of the, you know, the internationally owned brewers, or it may be that they don't care and all they want to do is drink something that's good and then they know what it's going to taste like. And I think that's why, you know, it can be either hard or perhaps even pointless to have too much of a definition because the sort of the parameters are so fluid for different people. Yeah, which, which again is where I come, it comes back to me, um, transparency and labelling. So people know what they're drinking and they can make an informed choice and if it matters to them, they can act on that, uh, you know, information. Yeah, yeah well, if I was in... Um, Dan's the other day, and I saw Coldstream Pilsner, and their packaging says on the on the outside, brewed in the Yarra Valley. Now they haven't had their brewery in the Yarra Valley for a number of years, so 
you know, much as people are sort of jumping on on what happened with Byron Bay because it's ha it happened with one of the bigger breweries, you know, it's happening elsewhere as well. Uh, I think you've just given me my next crusade. <laughs> oh, this is what I was chatting to someone about the other day that you know there are, you know, the, 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 you know, I guess Byron Bay Lager and what you know, and the, and the the fight you took up there with with ongoing success, and um, you know, was is. I guess of interest to wider ones because of who was involved, but you know, the, 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 there are other issues. There are other grey areas, like you say. You know, whether people understand that it's probably impossible to say on every single, um, you know, if a small brewery decides to get a batch made somewhere else for whatever reason, it's not financially viable for them to state on the label for that that oh, this was brewed at whatever. You know, I was chatting to um, Heath from Cavalier earlier today, and they obviously have. A number of breweries brewing at their set up in in Melbourne's west, but they also have people like Three Ravens or Prickly Moses who have their own breweries, but they occasionally can't get enough of a certain beer out, so they go and brew one batch there. Now, do they should they say have labels for that one batch saying it was brewed there? So you know there are sort of difficulties in being, you know, um, 100% honest on every on where everything is made or 100% transparent. But um, I think when there are there are certain cases where <laughs> there's a deliberate lack of transparency or lack of honesty, and they, they probably need to be highlighted. Yeah, look, and, I mean, God, we could have this. We, I had meant to sidetrack a, a discussion about your book with this one, but uh, um, we, we might park this for another day because I think it's a fascinating discussion that could easily take an hour. Um, so we, we, we might do it, but I think uh, you make some good points there. Let's get back uh, to the yeah. book. Um, how much How much does it cost? How much, uh, Great Father's Day present, how much are we going to spend on Dad this um, year? I believe it's going out just under the $30 mark for a beautifully packaged 200-and-something <laughs> page hardback book. Um, and I won't say beautifully packaged. It does look amazing. And I, I found out after it came out that um, the designer had based the front cover on the um, album sleeve for Screamadelica by Primal Scream. I'd never met the designer, but I'm quite obsessed with that album, so that was quite a nice little bit of um, synchronicity there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really they, they've done a marvellous job with it. So hopefully, my words and choices um, are up to scratch. I'm sure there will be um, quibbles as <laughs> from from people as to maybe some of the beers in there or whatever. But you know, you do what you can. And, and I, I was meant to say before actually, with the, sort of trying to cast the net as far and wide as possible. For the list, the idea, you know, was is that all of these beers should be available for anyone to get hold of at some point. So it's kind of limited to packaged beers for that for the hundred and fifty. Um, and there's always an asterisk after any list isn't there. And I, I think that people need to remember that there's no such thing as a definitive yeah. list. And the process of inclusion and exclusion, it, there's a whole lot of um, considerations you have to make uh, whenever you do yeah. that. And uh, but how often in in, in your daily uh, life do you get asked so uh, what's your favorite beer it does it does come around <laughs> yeah you know it, yeah it comes around fairly regularly and it, i suppose it's, it's it, it does um this kind of state of flux isn't there there's certain beers certain australian beers that you know i think uh, are fantastic all year round but um yeah it's just one of those ones that, I, I, and I've, I know i've asked people the same thing and they always go really do we have to answer that question but um but it's just, it just interesting like so you know with having to, be limited sort of package stuff. You realize there's so many beers that are draft only or so many fantastic beers that may only come out once that can't go in there. And so there's a bit of a sort of um, like appendix, I guess, at the end with some other breweries that are worth checking out that don't have sort of packaged beer. But even that's, you know, far from exhaustive. Um, you know, and I guess 
with the book having been finished in February slash March. You know, since then, God knows how many new breweries have come online. But then even within the sort of listing breweries that don't have packaged beers, check out the likes of someone like the Grifter, who make amazing beers that, you know, the Grifter Brewing Co. in Sydney, there's, mm-hmm. they still fall through the gap. Like, even you can't even list them as a brewery because they haven't got a brewery to go and visit and they don't have any packaged beer. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess that's why, you know, it's useful to have our websites as well that we can, you know, keep things, keep everything on there all the time. Well, I certainly can't claim credit for, uh, I mean, I take the lazy approach and I just uh, share all, all of your <laughs> posts because uh, the Crafty Pint manages to, to keep up on, on uh, seemingly everything in Australia. So, mate, look, um, that's about 25 minutes. I know that you've... Uh, very, very busy man. So thank you for joining us. All the best uh, for the book. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep uh, plugging it um, in, in the lead up to its release and uh, and afterwards. I can't wait to uh, get a copy um, and I'll certainly be giving uh, lots of Father's Day presents to uh, fathers in my life um, uh, for it. But uh, congratulations. Can't wait to see it. And uh, more importantly, congratulations on everything that you've done uh, for craft uh, beer since you uh, founded the Crafty Pint um, and uh, could be a week. Thanks, Matt. No, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it keeps me busy. Just, just, just as your work does, I'm sure. Mate, always good to chat to you and uh, look forward to catching up with you again uh, very awesome. soon. All right, cheers, Matt. Well, that was James Smith, better known these days as Crafty Pint. Um, look, I, it was, it's always good to chat to James. He really is one of the uh, real champions of Australian craft beer. Passionate man, uh, and I don't know where he finds energy. Head out um, and buy the book. Um, I've got a copy of it in front of me, 150 Great Australian Beers, Your Guide to Craft Beer and Beyond. I'll just read you a little bit. Um, It's time for a bedtime story, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But yeah, I'll just read you a little bit because it was something that was the first thing that I turned to when I opened it and it really captured a lot about what craft beer was for me and it really showed how James gets it. And it says, If you are a 20-year-old in Australia today who enjoys drinking the occasional tasty beer, you may well wonder what all the fuss is about. You may question why many people older than you become so passionate when the subject of beer is raised. Their passion manifested by an unstoppable desire to convert people to craft beer, or by the manner in which they decry the actions and products of the country's two dominant foreign-owned brewing companies, with the sort of language usually reserved for deviants and war criminals. You may question why people who have long outgrown their band t-shirts have a collection of clothing that is adorned with hop cartoon hot flowers and the names of breweries from all over the world. After all, you don't see wine aficionados sauntering the country's wine regions with the names and logos of their favourite biodynamic winery emblazoned across their chests. That really sums up for me. For me and uh, he then goes on to sort of say, well, you know, there is a reason for that. And uh, then gives 150 great reasons why people are so passionate about craft beer. Um, by the time this podcast hits your uh, earphones, it will be out and about. Great Father's Day present. If you are trying, if you're one of these people and if you're listening to this podcast, um, no doubt you are one of those people that whenever you walk into a bar, you uh, try and drag your friends, save their palates from what they've been drinking. And this is a sort of book that can really help them do it. Uh, So if you're looking for a great Father's Day uh, present, this book and maybe a six pack of your choice selection will be just about perfect. Now, before we go on and uh, have a chat with Richard Adamson, just have a few more bills to pay. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and keg beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open door policy, 
Brewpacks brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing, think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Now, on to our chat with Richard Adamson. And yes, joined by Richard Adamson from Young Henry's in Sydney. Richard, good to chat again. It's been quite a while. G'day, how you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Mate, it has been a while since we've caught up. So uh, look, I guess we probably should do a bit of a catch up with all things. We're going to have a little bit of a chat today about uh, your plans to have a distillery in the brewery and uh, some hop uh, infused gins. Um, But we might just uh, catch up with some of the things you've been up to uh, since we last spoke. Uh, You've won uh, again at the Weatherspoons competition in, in England. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a bit different this year. So I, this is the third time I've been involved. Uh, so prior it was with, with Barons and we did the Blackwell Ale and the, a Bushberry Porter. And uh, that was a, 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 a online poll. Uh, this year they held a festival um, at, Thorn, at the um, one of the Weatherspoons pubs and they had uh, 50 entries, uh, so 10 overseas and the, the rest are locals. Uh, judged by a lot of the brewers and camera members, so the, our real ale uh, was was voted best beer of the festival, which was I, fantastic. I, I, I guess if we could just sort of step back and uh, just explain what the Weather Weatherspoons Festival is. Weatherspoons is a, a big English pub chain. It is. So they have nine hundred pubs across the UK. Uh, they sell more chips than McDonald's. Uh, they've gone through a bit of a, a change too. So. Even in the four years since I was there, their last, I think they've really sort of stepped up the quality of their beer. Um, they have a, they were having an annual uh, beer festival where they invited brewers from around the world to come and brew their beer with UK brewers, and then that beer is sold throughout all the pubs as part of the festival. So they've, they've actually moved that to a biannual. It's been so popular, and in fact, um, I've been invited back again. In September to to do another brew, um, so they're going to get a, a brewer out every month, effectively, as well. So um, yeah, lots of fun happening over there. So and and I mean, you've brewed uh, a couple of beers in the past uh, for them uh, back in your time brewing with uh, Barons, and you won for the Lemon Myrtle from memory. Or uh, oh, you, so Blackwell was the first we did, and then we, we did a Bushberry Porter. Uh, so this time during the real hour, it it felt a like I was a bit more exposed because we're really doing a, a English bitter with Australian hops, so uh, there's probably less less tricks up your sleeve and, and less places to hide in terms of a direct comparison of what we're doing with what would be a standard English bitter. Um, of course, we're doing it on hand pumped as well. Um, but and those camera members can be a little bit uh, fussy. Oh, I, I think they're, they're known as some of the fussiest people on the planet when it comes to beer. So, to get a to get a thumbs up for them is fantastic. Excellent. You, you're also things are also expanding apace at uh, Young Henry's. Um, I, I think when we last spoke to you, you'd recently opened, um, having gone through all sorts of uh, planning approval uh, difficulties, and uh, but now you've got growing pains. Well, we're at our, our third um, expansion, so we've doubled the capacity three times. Um, in two years. So we're currently in the process now of um, putting in a, um, a high-efficiency mash press uh, brewery 
and a still. So the, the brewery should be up and running by, I'm hoping, by the end of July, which will be what, fantastic. What, once again, when you say high-efficiency mash-pressed, mash people that aren't you know, fully enmeshed in the, uh, the technical side of brewing, um, what, what is that and what does it allow you to do? So it, it, it's effectively putting the, the, the mash tun on, on its side. So traditionally, you, would, you, you mill the grain, you add the water, and then you have a false, false bottom in a, in a vessel where all the, um, the, the sugar and the colour from the, from the grain gets washed through and collected in a kettle for boiling. This, uh, this system similarly... And, and, and gravity uh, drags that through the false bottom yeah, and through the grain you, bed? You slowly pump it, pump it out. This one, you once it's been mashed in, you actually pump it into a, a set of filter, um, la, a large filter, and squeeze it. So you, you, you use, end up using less water and you get uh, much better efficiency out of the grain. Okay. Does it have any flavour effect on, on, on the final beer? Yeah, that's a... That's a a very technical argument. We can go into some interesting questions about that. I've done a lot of research on it, and the way this is used, um, that does not. Um, the the large breweries, large mirror presses. There's been some questions over um, polyphenols to get technical, uh, but the way this is used does, doesn't have any issue, any of those issues. It also allows us to use um, a high amount of non malt products like wheat or in corn in the case of whiskey um, or rye, rye malt, without having the problems of getting a stuck mash where the water just doesn't get out of the grain. Okay. Just, uh, I mean, you've expanded three times since you opened and you've only been open for 18 months, two years now? Just over two years now, yeah. Just over two years. So how big, what was your uh, brewery size when you opened? Wow, so we had uh, I mean, how much? We had four fermentation tanks, so um, two 2400s and two 12s, um, and we're now up to where we can do 32,000 litres a week, and it should be 42 by the end of um, July. So quite a substantial change in volume, certainly. So under the uh, old excess, uh, the excise arrangements, uh, you were... Brewing your excess uh, allowable in a, in a in a week at the moment. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, mate. A lot of guys are considering opening breweries, and uh, I, I think craft brewing is seen as being one of those things that you know you, you can do it on the cheap. And you hear the stories of guys like Sierra Nevada um, opening, I think, with some old uh, dairy equipment. You know that they spent a day drilling holes in to create the uh, mash tun. Um, uh, there's a lot of Australian breweries that have done it on a shoestring, but you, you hear a lot of these guys that have done that then just struggle to keep up. Do you, do you have any advice for the, the guys that are looking at it, thinking that it is the sort of thing that a knockabout bloke uh, who's reasonably handy with a uh, you know set of stainless steel pots and pans um, can do? Is there advice that you would give guys that are looking... To get started, Look, I'd have a I'd have a clear um, goal in terms of what where you where you want to go. We we bought the biggest brewery we could afford at the time, um, and it's you know it's it hasn't lasted. It's just lasted two years, um, and we've done. Well, by the time we've done with it, we'll have done seven hundred brews on um, on that equipment before we've had to move it on. Uh, so, if you if you know if you want to be a production brewery. Buy the biggest piece of equipment you can afford, um, but have a clear goal in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Um, 
we we didn't. So you know, we were, we were looking at being a, a brew pub to start with, and now we've become a production brewery, and we've had to um, kind of work our way through that and and, and change as we go. Um, we're very fortunate, I think, that we ended up in Newtown, and, and Newtown went through a massive change at the same time with the small bars and just the whole the whole scene here. So having a having a good market at your doorstep certainly helps. Uh, I, 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 I was, sorry, you, you finish. I was going to say, in, in, in terms of in, you know, when we, we're as a organisation, the, the CBIA is aiming to to get an uplift of you know the that two percent to five percent of the market. We really need to look at um, not you know like opening new markets. So if you are looking at being like you know starting a brewery, find find something that's um you know really untapped and and try and build the market that way. I, I don't think there's any gains really to be had in going on the coattails of other breweries and and fighting over the same taps. I think we really need to expand into new new places that aren't really selling craft beer at the moment. We're going to have a little bit of a, a, a chat about taps and tap contracts, uh, which is something that you and I had a chat about uh, recently, which uh, led to this um, podcast. But uh, it's interesting when you say that you went from a brew pub model to a production brewery model. I mean, that pivot was forced on you. Uh, I think three or four years ago, you were going through planning um, for a, a restaurant, a 150-seat restaurant with a smaller brewery out the back, um, yes. looking at servicing your own needs. Do you think you would have had the same growing pains if you'd gone with that model? No, I don't. I, it, it would have just been a different scenario entirely. So it would have been much more focused on um, selling, just selling the beer on premise and doing maybe a little bit out, out of the, you know, out of the brewery to some venues around the, around the place. So the, you know, our, our aims were much more modest, I guess, but probably more profitable in some ways. Um, you know, selling your own beer at your own venue is the best way to go. Um, you, you're going to make more money. And, and what size um, kit were you looking at when you were going down the brew pub, the, the brew pub model? Well, it, it was the same. It's the same we ended up. We had already ordered that equipment. So um, we would have, we'd, we'd probably be still using it. And we would have um, probably done maybe a quarter of the, of the brews that we've done at this stage. So we wouldn't be looking at, you know, taking over next door and, Putting a new brew house in, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, which way is better? I, again, it depends on what you what your aims are. Um, where we've been delighted to get to where we are, and we're, we're very grateful for the support we've got uh, from the drinking public. Really, one of the things we uh, we talked about uh, off air um, a little while ago was um, you know, expansion, and uh, one of the things that limits expansion that's uh, tap contracts. The ACCC is obviously. Um, investigating tap contracts at the moment, they're looking uh, at it. What, what are your views about uh, you know formalised arrangements between breweries and hotels? It's it's, a, it's certainly an interesting times with the ACCC getting involved. Uh, look, I, look, I think if there's nothing inherently wrong with a supplier having a, an arrangement around um, price for you know and, and expecting you know some kind of longevity in the relationship because of that. Uh, it's when uh, access to for other people gets completely locked out when they're, you know, when you're kind of using market forces, or I guess is where the, the issue is. You know, if you're, if you're contracting 80% of the venue's taps, but say you can do what you, what you like with the other 20%, but it can't be these people or it can't be 
um, craft beer, for example. Like, I don't really have a problem with that. I, I think that's wrong. And, and we're seeing that more and more. I mean, I, I've, I've personally gone through a couple of different, you know, changes of view, as, as, particularly as the market develops. And I used to be, you know, staunchly anti-contract, you know, going back seven or eight years ago um, when I saw that contracts were, when people were starting to want craft beer, um, the, the, the contracts really inhibited the growth of craft beer because the big brewers weren't interested um, in really getting behind craft beer and uh, they were forcing their volumes through the, their tap contracts, which slowed down the growth of craft beer. But as craft beer is, you know, it, it, it's managed to work around the edges and it's, it's created a real uh, niche for itself. Um, and, and, and you see it now and I sort of wonder whether, you know, it, it, it's a publican's fault. If publicans are willing to take a short-term cash payment or, you know, rebate um, in return for locking out um, the, the great diversity of craft beer that we've got, isn't that you know the publican signing his own you know going the way of the dodo? Um, if the if the public do want these craft beers that are, are starting to spring out, if they are locking them out of their own hotels, isn't that just a stupid publican? I, I think so. Look, and we're seeing more and more that uh, the larger pubs in certainly in the inner west are, are changing because it's it's consumer led. So. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the small bars and they've seen their, their patrons gravitate towards small bars because they've had a focus on food and beverage, whereas, you know, the pubs haven't had to really think about it too hard because they didn't have the competition. Um, they could prop it up with gambling um, and not really, you know, and, and sort of sport on TV, I guess, and not have to worry about actually giving a, a good offering. Um, and the, the, they've realised that they have to now to, to compete. So we're seeing a much greater focus on, on food and beverage. Um, pubs are lifting up their food offering and along with that is is a diversity of, of offering on, on tap. Um, if people want it, uh, the, the, the publicans are, are going to have to meet that demand. Um, so we've certainly seen that in a, many venues where you just say, well, it's, it's never going to be a craft beer venue. They've, they've turned around. Um, and I think it'll it'll spread outwards from the you know from the city in the um, in the west, and we'll we'll see it start to creep out the suburbs even more, which is fantastic. And Brisbane's a, a great example of that. You know, there were some of the big venues that would never have put craft beer on because the the, the staff didn't know what it was. And you know, you, you, my view is that you need informed staff. You can't just put it on and expect people to come in. Um, there needs to be you know, craft beer hasn't made that sort of inroads into the market yet, but. You know, once you've got the small venues like the Scratch um, Archive in Brisbane, uh, Bittersweet, um, they led the way and they created such buzz that the bigger hotels suddenly thought, you know, shit, we need to get onto this as well. And that was when they started realising that they couldn't have exclusive arrangements. Um, and it, you know, the, seeing that uh, dynamic really shaped, started to shape my own view uh, about the contracts, um, which seems to accord with what you've seen. And I remember seeing a quote from the uh, head of the Sydney Hotels Association, New South Wales Hotels Association, pointing out that you know that the publicans were their own worst enemy. When people were coming in for the pokies, they didn't care that the bars were empty, and it's only uh, you know now that there's some other competition that they realise that they need to look at other things, not just the pokies, to get people in. Craft is a great way to do that. Yeah, and, and Brisbane's a really exciting scene at the moment. I think it's um, it's fantastic. Um, we seem to be picking up more and more fans of our beer up there, and the um, the venues I think particularly have a um, a really good relationship between between each other as well. They seem to be um, particularly in the smaller bar scene seem to be working together 
Um, Very much so. Um, which is um, it's really a, it's it's just wonderful from our perspective to see to see that happening, um, and you know seeing a venue help you know help help you as a supplier say well we'd love to have you on on tap and you should go and talk to these people because you know they're they're really doing really exciting things as well that just doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh-huh. You know, it's a really clear, and I, I think it's one of those things that I, I compare the Brisbane bar scene and the Brisbane beer scene a little bit to the music scene in the eighties, um, where sort of the late seventies, early eighties. You know, when you had uh, the Go Betweens and some of those bands coming out, um, because it was almost as as a response to repression. And you know, Brisbane was a one beer town for a long, long time, and these guys, the, the bar owners, don't see themselves as being in competition with each other. They see themselves as being, you know the you know leaders in a revolution and they're helping each other to achieve that yeah when i was with barons we saw we we saw the that that was going to happen and i think the brothers really meet the road now i think it's probably the most exciting craft beer scene in the country at the moment um brisbane it's wonderful yeah I guess the other side of the, the, the contract issue, though, um, and one of the things that's also come to shape my view about it is, you know, a, a lot of these small bars are building their um, models around um, going the complete other way from tide taps. And, you know, they've got a, a bank of 15, 20 kegs um, in the cool room, or hopefully in the cool room, um, waiting their turn to come on. And it's an ever never-ending uh, smorgasbord of, of beers. Great for the beer drinker. Um, who's looking for something different every time, but it must make it hard for a brewery such as yourself, you know, when you're going through expansion, to, um, you know, know that there's always going to be the volume demand there. Um, it must be hard for you guys being on the road, or not for your sales guys being on the road, trying to, uh, you know, confirm that you're going to have uh, supply demand, um, you know, demand from week to week. Yeah. Is that an issue for you guys? Well, for- forecasting is always the the issue for us in terms of meeting demand and we're getting we're kind of getting better at it um but there was you know there was many weeks um i'd say last year leading up to christmas where we would walk into the brewery on a monday and we just did not have one keg of beer to sell um so <laughs> everything we were selling we were kegging that week um it and and where we're kind of in a, in a probably in a little different position than some of the um the craft brewers around in that um, a lot of our um, standard beers that we make um, week in week out are, are quite um, accessible, um, and when they are on tap, they sell. They, they seem to sell a lot. Um, so certainly, having a permanent tap makes that forecasting and continuity of supply so much easier from a um, from a brewer's perspective. Um, if you if you're on and off all the time. Um, and so the, the rotating, look, we're, that, that's that's a lot of fun, and we, you know, we buy into that by doing all the specialty and um, limited release beers that we do. But it's, uh, yeah, it can be a tricky game. And I guess that's the nub of the issue. Uh, you know, it, it benefits the brewery to have a regular tap. Um, you know, the, the, the publicans, I guess, sense that there is some value over and above just the the, the sale of the beer, and that's where some publicans start to look at. Um, you know, formalising the arrangement and uh, contracts can come in, and you. I've seen it as an observer. Um, some of the breweries that have been around for a little while now, um, as they grow um, and want to guarantee the demand, um, you know, you start seeing, you know, them supplying uh, 
umbrellas for the front, you know, and, and those sorts of, you know, added value, you know, doing regular beer dinners um, at, at a venue. And I guess even installing, you know, some of the bigger um, craft breweries are installing, you know, tap systems um, in return for having their their beer um, poured. And these were breweries that, you know, four or five years ago probably were complaining about how hard it was to get, you know, beer on themselves. And yet, once it suits them, they seem uh, to, to, to be quite comfortable with uh, getting into some similar arrangements themselves. Do you sense that there is a bit of that going on in the industry too? Oh, of course. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, look, and, and, you know, if the new bar is opening up and they've got, they're faced with a bill of putting the tap system in themselves and then having the, the complete freedom, they've really got to want to commit to that, um, that ideal and have it in their hearts. If, if they're if they're looking well, we want to have we want to have a good offering of beer, but um, you know I I don't necessarily want to have to change the beers every week and kind of keep up with that. Then they they, they want to want to enter into a relationship with might be one brewer, but it might be several. And I've I've seen where maybe brewers will work together to to chip in to put a tap system in and and you know take one or two you know, one tap each or something like. But the like, so that mm. certainly it certainly happens. And again, I, I was saying there's nothing inherently wrong with that. If, if you've invested in that tab system for and you're expecting a return over one or two years, I don't really have a problem with that. It's, I guess it's when if you say, okay, well we'll take the, you know, we'll take two taps out of three, but that third tap, you can't have these these people or these types of people, and you're blocking you're blocking the market out. I think that's a problem. But I guess that, and that's that's where it gets a, a, a very fine issue. And you know, when I speak to the, the the big brewers, they, you know, they say, "Well, we're just doing what the small brewers are doing." You know, we just have bigger pockets. And uh, one one of the other arguments is, you know, they say that well, and when we put in the tap systems, they're a much better quality tap system, so the beer is to, to delivered better. Um, for me. Um, my solution to it is making sure that the public is educated and when they're confronted with a bank of, you know, eight taps that might be just, for example, you know, Little Creatures, uh, White Rabbit, Kosciuszko, Squires, uh, Han, and then Forex, uh, that they know that even though there are four different taps, they're from the one brewery and, you know, maybe they're being denied some of the other choices that they, they might come to. Um, what's your view about labelling? And, uh, you know, there's been a bit of an issue lately as well yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty passionate about that in that um in in terms of provenance and and claims on on labels anyone that would have had a young henry's beer in a bottle will see that we're pretty stripped down i think we we have the name of the beer and then the legal stuff and that is it um i'm 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 devoid of beer wank um is where i come from and i i don't i don't like I don't like like branding that steals providence for whatever reason, um, whether it be a, a fake character story or or propaganda or, or stealing a real a real historical character and claiming some heritage because of that or a heritage around an area where you've got dubious claims to, to being from. Um, there are a couple, you know, and, and I, it's probably a little bit difficult for you to uh, to call anybody out, but um, I'm... I think I've just called everybody out in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it, it, it's a big one. Byron Bay was the most obvious example, but, um, you know, I've got some beers that have been sent to me from Balmain Brewery in Sydney, um, you know, and by all accounts, they're very well-made beers. They're, they seem to be uh, quite popular, but nowhere on the bottle, you know, 
when, when uh, my first thing when I see something like Balmain beer, and I, I don't expect you to comment on this, um, is uh, you know, well, look and see what they're saying. They've na- they've named it after a place. What are they telling about it? And uh, you know, there is this story that clearly um, identifies Balmain as being the inspiration for it, but nowhere does it say the beers aren't brewed in Balmain. The bottle has a business address that's you know a PO box or a you know a, a business address in Balmain, um, and there seems to be without overtly lying there seems to be this uh, desire to you know very closely identify um with it another great example is kosciuszko um where even though it's a wholly owned business that's been wholly funded by lion um has a kosciuszko address on on the label um those sorts of things yeah i get fairly fired up about it and you guys are based you know in in newtown and it's a big part of where you come from um it, it must be difficult to hold your tongue sometimes Look, you know, we 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 are in Newtown, but we are going to be, you know, we are we are building another brewery in 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 Michael River, so um, that will need its own identity in some ways that fits underneath the whole Young Henry's persona and brand. Um, I think you're making a, a, a rod for your own back by doing that lazy kind of marketing. To be honest, um, we do have a beer called the Newtowner here, and it's only sold in in Newtown and surrounding suburbs, and that came about because we were asked to make a beer for Newtown's 150th anniversary and it was kind of so popular that it stuck. Um, and that's a that's a problem for us too in terms of managing managing that because um, people want to, you know, we, 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 we keep it fairly tight and say, well, if it's a Newtown beer, we really want it only consumed around these, this area. Um, I just think you're better off coming out with something that's, that's original that you can build your own brand story around rather than trying to, you know, say we pay homage to or in the in honour of or something wishy-washy like that. Um, that's that's what I get passionate about. And it's, it's, you know, you mentioned a few names there, but, it, man, it's pretty rough. So that's, yeah, and, and I mean, they were, they were just two that seem uh, very relevant um, based on what's, what's in my fridge at the moment. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and the, the flip side for me is that I look at you know maybe a brewery like Stone and Wood who are uh, you know obviously site sponsors uh, so I need to ring the uh, Alan Jones bell there, um, <laughs> but you know, they're a great example of um, a brewery that just hasn't been able to keep up. Um, but you know it's very important to them that they make all of the beer that comes out of their out of their yeah. brewery, um, and uh, you know probably foregone some you know dollars in the short term because they want to make sure that their brand um, has integrity. Um, there are a lot of you know. What I hear you saying is that there are a lot of breweries that uh, maybe the integrity of their brand is less important to them. Yeah, look, and, and you know, uh, the Sun and Wood guys have got such integrity in that brand that's kind of been difficult for them in there because they're building this new brewery, which is only you know what twenty minutes away from the from the one in Byron Bay. But they've the last sign I saw for them at a at a venue mentioned the. Um, Byron Bay and the, is it the River Arena or something? The, the, the Northern Rivers, yeah, brewed well, in the Northern Rivers. They've kind of had to change their, you know, their marketing to to keep that integrity. Um, you know, is it, it, maybe it's easier not to, not to do it in some ways and tell your own story around something else, you know, where... Well, it, but being in the Northern, that, that's when, when I've spoken to, the, to those guys, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but being from the Northern Rivers is a big part of uh, their brand. And, yeah. you know, I, I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, breweries around that, um, you know, probably aren't so geographically based. Um, but, you know, 
it, it, telling telling a story, as you said, you know, I think Wishy Washy is a really good way of describing some of the you know brood in tribute to or those sorts of um, things that are, are clearly just marketing driven. Um, and uh, anyway, probably probably best that we yet. Uh, we, 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 probably best to move on. But I was going to say, we, you know, we rather than sort of be claim any sort of providence, I think we kind of we were kind of around a movement of, of music, arts, and culture that you know things that excite us we can hopefully share with other people. That's kind of where we're coming from rather than any sort of geographical or, or faux historic sort of claim, I think, is where we're coming from. Mm. Um, it's just, does it, you know, does it affect the, the integrity of the product? I think I think you get into difficulties. And with that, you know, that recent decision with the ACCC around that Byron Bay um, being not being made in Byron Bay, Man, a lot of people are going to have to really look at their labelling. I think. I, I think so, and I, you know, that, that's where I worry any time that the government, you know, when it gets to the stage that the government has to get involved, because, you know, they we, we talk about government red tape. Government red tape is often there because of this sort of situation. If the industry doesn't regulate itself, the government comes in and carpet bombs everybody. Um, and yeah. that's where. That, if that happens with the with the with the tap situation, I think a lot of people will have to change their practices as well. Um, you know, we've what we've heard it's it's what it's, a, it's illegal in the states to take more than fifty percent. Is that is that right? Well, I, the, the the breweries aren't able to directly deal with. Um, oh, that's right, because of the three system. Because of the three tier system, and you know that that was again brought in, but it's something that they complain about. And I think, uh, you know, as soon as the government comes in, they're never going to. Um, Come up with a situation. You know, they're never going to be able to cope with the nuances of any situation. And uh, a great example of that, if anyone is listening, uh, Google the 26-page definition of a biscuit, which uh, you know shows um, it's too long for, for for the podcast, but it's a very interesting example of what happens. You know, when people try and skirt laws, um, you know, and, and you have to sort of account for every eventuality, um, you end up with a 26-page definition of what a chocolate chip biscuit is. But, uh, mate, we, we might move on a little bit. Um, a, nice, a nice segue to that might be that I was, I was talking to the guys from Ballast Point uh, who have a still in, in their brewery. And <laughs> at one stage, they were, were unable to sell, like, do tastings of the spirit over their bar um, because of that free tip system. And they actually got the law changed so they could you can tell that we're coming to you live from a brewery uh, oh, from the kegs and... in the background, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, and, and, and that's the sort of problem that you have. You know, when the government, you, you do, that's when you get those ridiculous anomalies when uh, the government is forced to step in and, you know, laws are often inflexible um, and don't allow for the nuance of any situation. But, uh, but you did bring in the, the distillery and you also talked about, uh, you know, putting corn and uh, rye through um, the, 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 the mash tun. Um, so yeah, tell us what your plans are to uh, to do some distilling. Yeah, so we've just we've just uh, taken delivery and we've just actually set up the columns um, today for a twenty column two thousand litre um, still, which was custom made for us out of the states by a eighth generation moonshiner. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're really looking forward to get that cranking. That's well, that's reality probably a couple of months away. We've done a lot of testing on um, one of our first products, which would be a gin, uh, using hops as the, the main botanical. And we'll be looking at doing a, a white whiskey, um, white dog, white white wing, uh, which we're calling young whiskey, which is an unaged whiskey based on moonshine, effectively. 
as well. Wow. First two. And I mean, most people would be aware that you know Scotch whiskey. Um, I, I like to describe it is uh, unhopped um, distilled beer um, because that that's where it starts. And uh, um, what, what what grains do you base uh, something like uh, your your whiskey on? Well, we're still settling that at the moment. We've we've done some tests around what's what's a classic Tennessee, um, which is uh, malted barley, rye, and corn. Um, we're just going to do a few other tests around. I've just got back from a trip in Scotland, which is obviously all malt. And being a brewer, there's there's nothing better than a you know, than, than malted barley. So um, probably be up in the content, I think, um, of that mix. We're just going to try and find what works on an unaged um, level um, that we're really happy to sort of serve, serve meat. And how about something like gin? Uh, what, what, what's the, the, the basis for the uh, spirit uh, that you're going to use in your gin? Yeah, so uh, well, because, of, because we're using hops as the main botanic, well, we want to have it as a real brewer's gin, so something that would come out of the brewery, so that'll be 100% malt. Uh, what we're still playing around with is how much congeneric flavour it will have. So when you make a, a distilled um, uh, spirit, the higher the initial alcohol content, the lower uh, amount of flavour you get based from the base ferment, from, from the base grain. Uh, so a classic London dry gin is generally taken up to 96% um, before it's watered down and and then you macerate the botanical. So there is no flavour from the base, the base grain. In fact, it could be from anything. It could be grain or uh, potatoes or wine or whatever. It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect the flavour. So we're, it's just a matter of working how much of that grain flavour we want to bring through that's going to sort of complement the botanical mix. And uh, what's the process for adding botanicals uh, when, when you're making gin? Is it, is it pre-distillation or is it uh, essentially dry hopping like uh, like you would a beer? It's yeah. So you 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 make your your spirit, you then cut it back with some water, and then you put all the botanicals into the still, let it sit for eight to twelve hours, and then start your distillation. Um, the hops we're putting into a gin basket, so only the vapor, the alcoholic vapor, passes through it. And that's because we don't want to draw the, the bittering compote panels through the alpha acids. We just want to bring through the essential oils, which is all the flavor components. So um, it, we're really happy with uh, the, the Enigma hop from, um, from Tassie. It's, uh, it's got some unique properties that really seem to work as a, as a gin, um, which is really exciting. And gin seems to be, you know, whiskey, there are a lot of whiskey bars that have been opening up around the country and a couple of uh, whiskey distilleries. Australia's got some very well-known whiskey distilleries. Um, but gin seems to be the spirit whose time is yet to come. Uh, gin's, gin's gone through a massive uh, revolution, I think, in, in the UK with the likes of Sid Smith setting up in London, the first, you know, London distillery in 200 years or something. Um, so it is, that's... You know, there's a lot of distilleries probably are making gin um, in the UK. Uh, in Australia, there, there seems to be this that the, the groundswell of the of the artisan spirits movement. So um, there's some there is some really exciting things happening. I think you know we've just had four four pillars win the gold medal over in San Francisco. We've had Sullivan's Cove for the whiskey win win the same the same award. Um, we're obviously making quality stuff. I think it's time that 
we start recognising what's happening here, and there'll be there'll be more producers, and you know the the, the options are limitless in terms of really what we can make here. Um, fantastic! It's going to be really exciting. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to try it. Richard uh, Adamson, great to uh, catch up and uh, find out all things Young Henry. Um, look forward to uh, having a beer with you again very soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. There you go. Coming up uh, coming up to the buzzer. Before I sign off, I'd like to thank one more sponsor, Core Brewing Concepts. If you're a home brewer or even a home brewer looking to expand and even go pro, check out corebrewingconcepts.com.au. They supply just about everything a home brewer needs from ingredients and equipment right through to complete nano breweries. They are as passionate about beer and brewing as you are. Go check them out at corebrewingconcepts.com.au. Core Brewing Concepts, Rebel Brewers since 2003. Well, thank you very much for joining me once again. Hope you enjoyed the interviews as much as I enjoyed conducting them. Uh, you can probably tell I just love talking to these people and uh, hopefully it's not too rambly, but there's always plenty to say. Uh, next podcast, uh, I'm catching up with uh, Anton from Core Brewing, who's one of our sponsors. And uh, as I said in the last podcast, did a bit of debating, but look, he's a really fascinating guy. They are expanding. They're bringing out their own range, not just the contract uh, brewing range. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. He's a very smart guy, um, very switched on. And it's always interesting to sort of uh, just get a bit of a reality check from the guys that are in the business of making beer, not just the passion um, uh, for it. So that'll be the, the, the next podcast. Hopefully Prof, Prof will be back. If not, we will be together very soon. Prof is uh, heading up to Brisbane uh, next week, in the first week of August, to uh, work with me at the Royal Brisbane Show, uh, or the Ecker as it's well known. Uh, we're taking craft beer to the people. And uh, so we're going to have 10 days. He's going to be sharing the spare room um, in, in my house. So we're going to have plenty of time to, uh, to do a little bit of podcasting and hopefully we'll come up with something that is worth going to air. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us. Um, if you like the podcast, you can visit us at brewsnews.com.au and leave some comments, questions, topics that you'd like to hear discussed. You can like us on Twitter at News or on Facebook, uh, Australian Brews News. Wherever you go, Google us, you'll find us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to hear and you know, tell us what you think because beer is a conversation. So until next time, remember to drink for flavour, not effect, and let's strike up the band. There's a garden, what a garden.